There's a saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I've always thought that saying is very poignant. Our photos capture memories of ceremony, celebration, and raw emotion. Whether it's a sailor kissing a nurse or a candid moment from a backyard barbecue, you can see more than what is there in front of you. It can stir feelings for people you've never met, give you a glimpse into the past, or simply make you happy. An image of a 10-year-old girl named Lindsay can do that to me. I didn't know her, but there in her smile, you can see her friendliness and charm. In her eyes, you can imagine how mischievous she could be. And in her clothing and poses, you can imagine her as the life of the party. In the image, you can see this girl is full of life and has a load of exciting stories to tell in her future. She's frozen in time there in that image, and it's hard to imagine any other kind of ending than one that is happy. But alas, this is a true crime podcast so the story I'm going to tell does not have a happy ending. On June 26, 2009, a little girl went missing in the tiny logging town of McCleary, Washington. It had been a hot Friday summer day, and 10-year-old Lindsay Baum and her 12-year-old brother Josh spent the early part of the day with their friends at a neighborhood pool party just a few blocks from home. That evening, Lindsay and Josh walked to their friend Michaela's house, where Lindsay hoped to convince her friend's parents to let them have yet another sleepover. At some point during their walk, Lindsay and her brother got into an argument about a bike. His bike, she had borrowed it and left it somewhere without his permission. Josh decided to storm off and head home, leaving Lindsay alone to negotiate her sleepover. But Lindsay wasn't far behind her brother as the sleepover didn't work out. Since her brother had already left, Lindsay started the 10-minute walk home on her own. But it seems she wasn't alone for long. Somewhere between departing the doorstep of her friend's home and arriving at the doorstep of her own home, Lindsay Baum disappeared. The last confirmed sighting of Lindsay was at 9.15 p.m. that night. A local resident saw her walking along Maple Street between 5th and 6th. This was the halfway point between her and her friend Michaela's home. Understandably, Lindsay's mom grew frantic. She expected her home by 9.30. As it grew darker outside, her mom called her daughter's cell phone over and over, but it was a complete blow when she realized the phone was in Lindsay's room. After calling all of her friends and finding out that no one was with her or knew where she was, her mother Melissa called police to report her missing just before 11 o'clock at night. Initially, discussion turned to the possibility that 10-year-old Lindsay had run away from home or might be hiding in the woods. The reason? The fight with her brother over the bicycle. Perhaps she stormed off in a fit of anger. Her mother always described her as a bit of a firecracker with a flair for dramatics. But as the darkness set in, it became less likely. Lindsay had a well-known fear of the dark. It's a very small town, roughly 1,600 people, and police were familiar with the family, so officers quickly got on their radios and began searching. It was 3 a.m. when Grays Harbor County Sheriff Rick Scott determined that this was more than a stubborn kid who wanted some time alone. This was a real search and rescue mission for a missing child. She had no phone, no money, and no provisions with her. By Sunday, the entire town was involved. Everyone feared something terrible had happened to Lindsay, but no one wanted to guess what it could have been. Everyone was searching their properties, looking for any possible sign of her. By the following Monday, the search focused on an off-road vehicle park called Grays Harbor ORV Park. 
Dozens of searchers, dogs, helicopters comb the area for hours. For 10 days, the search continued. Search by helicopter, with canine units, a walking grid, and even search by horseback. But there was no trace, no clues, just the single sighting of a lone 10-year-old girl walking home that Friday night on Maple Street. Everyone's thoughts turned to the dark realization that she wasn't just missing. She had been taken. The case quickly grew to have nearly 100 law enforcement officers and FBI agents involved. They wanted to start compiling a list of suspects, and they moved quickly. They started with interviewing neighbors, pulling records of people who used credit cards in the area, requesting a list of cell phone users whose phones pinged off of the single cell phone tower in the town, and requesting surveillance video from every local business. It wasn't long until the persons of interest list grew to 40 people. It was a long process to interview each one, but with each suspect, there would be speculation, a warrant, maybe even an arrest, but ultimately there just wasn't enough evidence for any charges. From interviewing Lindsay's mother, police got information on two strange incidents that happened the weeks prior to Lindsay's disappearance. The first was her and her friend were playing at a local park, and then they went to the public restroom. While they were in the women's restroom, a man entered, a grown man. This was obviously very startling to the girls who quickly ran out to go tell their moms. The second occurrence happened a few days later. The girls were walking around town in the afternoon when they noticed a man in a white car following them slowly around the neighborhood. No one knows for sure if this is the same man from the bathroom, but it could be very likely. Could these incidents be connected to her disappearance? I'd say probably, but that was just what the sheriff was trying to understand. While reviewing the many hours of surveillance video from around the time of the disappearance, they got a new lead. There, in one of the videos pulled from a local gas station, was a vehicle matching the description of the white car the girl saw following them. I'm not certain if the car in the video was matched to a specific individual, but I do know that warrants were served on another individual with a white sports car. In the video from the gas station, the car seen as a kind of sports utility car truck hybrid. The other white car mentioned in the affidavit for a warrant was described as a white sports car, which to me speaks to a smaller vehicle, but it very well could be the exact same vehicle. I'm sorry I don't have any more clarity on that. But if it was the same vehicle, it would make a lot of sense why police fixated on this suspect. The man with the white sports car was of significant interest to police. He apparently worked near Lindsay's residence in a retirement home. He was originally brought in for questioning because a neighbor called police to report seeing a man in his car in the area the night she disappeared. The tipster noted that the car had a loud exhaust, and they found it suspicious that he wasn't seen around town for several days after that night. When police began looking into this man, they learned that he had a second job at a youth camp. The man told police he had been at the youth camp the night in question, so there was no way he could have had anything to do with Lindsay's disappearance. But police spoke to the supervisor of the camp and learned that the man had been suspended two weeks prior. Thus, there was no reason he would have been at the camp that night. His alibi was null and void. Is it ballsy or stupid to think, here's my alibi? They're not going to call and check. I think you're scrambling, right? I mean, in my eyes, it's yeah, like, Yeah, if you okay, have nothing, you panic and go, I work at a youth camp, and that's where I was. Yeah, but you have, part of you has to think they're not going to look into it. Like, they're just going to be like, oh, okay, valid. 
yeah, it is It is pretty shocking to me that you would just assume it's that, that that's going to fly. It, it's curious of just, does it come from that ego side of, I get away with anything and look at me and I'm going to toy yeah. with the cops? Or is it like, are you an actual idiot? Right. And, you and think if that you that's didn't have okay. anything to do with it, like, are you thinking that's not going to put more heat on you when you're discovered for lying? Like, well, you look at Casey Anthony. Yeah, it's Good like, point. She got a really good lawyer, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, the alibi, you know, the whole gotcha. walking through Universal and all that, but. The man's former girlfriend also gave police additional information of concern. She said that the day after Lindsay disappeared, the man told her how he was very concerned of what could have happened to her, and he couldn't believe someone would take a girl and cut her up and dismember her, which, of course, was not something police were even remotely considering. No one was calling this a homicide. And it's horrifically like specific. It is so specific. Why would someone say that? Even if you see that on the news, you go, I can't believe someone would do that. Abduct someone. Or even, or hurt a girl or do that. You don't say, you don't don't look at Jeffrey Dahmer and go, I can't believe someone cut open a person's brain and put fluid on it and tried, you go, I can't believe someone did that to another human. Well, they definitely thought it was suspicious. Yeah, I do. Another man, Tim Hartman, was also lingering on the suspect list after it was discovered he also gave false information. Hartman is a local jeweler who, when interviewed by police, denied being in McCleary the time of the disappearance. He claimed that he was out doing a training for his volunteer work as an EMT, and he didn't get back into town until very late that night. Upon review of video surveillance from a local business, police clearly established that this was a lie. He was seen on camera making a purchase at 9.15 p.m., the exact time the last confirmed sighting of Lindsay occurred. He was in a convenience store a short distance from his business. It just so happens his business is located on 4th Street, which is right on the path Lindsay would have taken to go home. Hartman told police his lie wasn't actually a lie, that he was just unintentionally giving false information because he wasn't paying attention to the time. He thought he got back into town later than he actually did. Now, Hartman actually drove Lindsay's mom to a creek where Lindsay liked to play to help look for her. Now, we've heard in other cases where the perpetrator actually volunteers to help search. So it makes you question, is this a bad guy or is he simply just a guy trying to help out a local family? One odd thing that came out of that search was People, when searching the area, were instructed to leave a marker to show everyone else that they had actually searched the area. Oh, yeah, to have it cleared. Right. Mm -hmm. So he claimed he searched that area by the creek with the mom. The next day, there were no markers. So it was very suspicious. So is he lying? Was he mistaken? We don't really know. Hartman brought police a certification that he had gotten from the training to prove that he was there. And he said that it took place in another town and it ended at 9 p.m., which would have made it very hard for him to have gotten back into town in time. However, the FBI said that it actually ended at 8.30, which would have given him enough time to get back into town. So as you can see, there's a lot of small discrepancies coming from him, but... 30 minutes is not a long time to mess up your time. Yeah, question. it's questionable and definitely red flags, but it's almost consistently off. Right. Like a normal person, if you're not watching the clock, if you have no reason to get somewhere at a specific time, you might be off a half right. hour. I mean, even the search, it's like, okay, maybe I was in the wrong spot and I meant that like if you just aren't that um, detail oriented and you don't think that way that sounds fairly consistent. Right. So they're obviously red flags when you add this element of this girl missing, but on their own, it's like, oh, this guy's just kind of aloof and 
Right. And the police were suspicious. So they do search his home, his car, his business. They didn't find anything. He was not arrested. However, he was interrogated for eight hours and he took two polygraph tests. So he claims that the first test he was told he passed only to be later told by someone he actually failed and needed to take another one. When he took the second one, it was inconclusive. So I don't know if they were just digging to try to find Yeah, probably messing with him like, oh, you're going to have to come in. Right. But to be fair, there was no official evidence connecting Hartman to Lindsay. The sheriff's office has publicly said he is not officially a suspect, but that doesn't mean he's not still a person of interest. For years, law enforcement has continued to work the Lindsay bomb case, conducting interviews, chasing new leads, talking to media, searching properties, hoping someone somewhere knows something and would come forward. But as the years stretch on and on, that seemed progressively less likely. In 2017, the startling discovery of five decades of depraved secrets just minutes north of Seattle would offer the bomb case yet another new lead. Three elderly brothers lived in a North Seattle home since 1962. As you can imagine, a home lived in that long tends to be a bit of a hoarder situation. The eldest brother, Charles, had just turned 82 and was diagnosed with dementia. It was time to move him from the home that he shared with his brothers into a senior care facility. To assist in the move, a niece was contacted to help go through Charles Emery's possessions. As she started on the garage, she stumbled upon something that would chill her to the bone. Box upon box stuffed with items she could never unsee. Piles of images depicting child sexual abuse. She contacted police on August 9th to report what she had found. This marks the day that the Seattle House of Horror was discovered. All three brothers were arrested for possessing visual or printed matter depicting a minor engaged in sexually explicit conduct. Each were held on $500,000 bail, which couldn't be afforded, so they sat in jail awaiting trial. I read the court documents for this, and I will say the whole case sounds just as disturbing with legal terminology. But in those documents, the home was described as, quote, littered from floor to ceiling with child exploitation images, children's clothing articles, toys, and movies. To be clear, the defendants have no biological children, nor have children resided with the defendants, end quote. So not just the garage, but the actual house The itself. entire house. Every room. Three brothers. Every storage unit. Everything. Buried under the stairs. You name it. Since the early discovery, more details have surfaced around what was found in the home. Boxes upon boxes of pornographic images of underage girls, young girls' clothing and shoes, magazine clippings of missing and murdered young girls. These were advertisements in magazines, newspapers. Like what you get in the clipper, like yep. at the back. with Not only that, kids. flyers, newspaper articles, you name it. And on them were handwritten notes detailing the kidnapping, torturing, raping, and murder of young girls. As police dug deeper into the home, they found dozens of pairs of children's shoes, most of which were penny loafer style with the pennies still in the shoes. They found worn underwear, girls worn underwear, and many, many notes written on paper, as well as those magazine clippings, detailing how the brothers wanted to do satanic sacrifices of children, commit sexual abuse, as well as supply alcohol to children. 
In fact, one of the shoes found in the house had a small bottle of vodka shoved inside of it, and it had a note with the initials of a female relative, and it read, SK's first half ounce of liquor came from this bottle. Which makes me wonder if the pennies, if the dates on the pennies maybe correlate with anything, oh, uh-huh. if that's why they had them. It's just a weird shoe stall. They're, they are old-fashioned. Yeah. They also found books and photographs documenting child homicides in detail, a sexual device, a box of unused and used condoms, and several rolls of microfilm, yet to be described in the documentation as it was not yet developed. One finding sparked a lot of speculation. It was a burned child's pink hat located in one of the crawl spaces. It was partially buried. So there were whispers that this particular item maybe had links to a more serious crime. Yeah, because that they actually tried to hide away as opposed to everything else being out. It was definitely a red flag for them. Before alerting authorities, the niece did admit to burning and throwing away some of the discovered materials. She described these to police as sexually explicit pornography, clothing, and shoes and toys. And I think they were hers. I think they belonged to her family, and she wanted to destroy them as to not bring further embarrassment. That would make sense. Because yeah, because so if you're much. gonna if you're gonna destroy it, why wouldn't you destroy everything if you're turning them in? I think she was protecting why the would family. You, that makes sense. Yeah. Edwin Emery, the youngest of the brothers, was born November seventeenth, nineteen thirty eight, and he had some interesting notes in his file. In early 2013, he had been investigated after taking his computer to be repaired. The technician who worked on it discovered photos of nude children among the files stored in the computer. When police reviewed the computer, they discovered 20 total images, which included, quote, child erotica and, quote, nudist colony activity. The images have terribly graphic titles that I'm going to avoid naming, but should you feel the need for that information, the HuffPost article linked in our sources does contain the court documentation where you can see all the names of the files. When police questioned him back in 2013, he told them that he was attracted to sub-teenage girls. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, that means approaching your teens and often refers to girls between like 11 and 12. It's like tweens. Right. Yeah. He also admitted to sexually abusing young children when he was in his 20s, noting that not just him, but also his brothers liked to look at pornography, child pornography. And before you ask... No, it does not appear that he went to jail for this discovery. It seems like it was swept under the rug and he went on with his life. Boys will be boys. Likely because he's elderly. You know, that was my first guess. Now, Edwin, according to himself, was the only computer user in the home. The brothers relied on him for the child pornography images. He described to detectives that he would print off the images and give them to them. And any image located in the house was likely created by his printer. Thomas Emery, born July 14, 1937, was committed to the maximum nine months for the charges laid against him. Charges for possession of child pornography, that is unfortunately all that Judge Mary Roberts could do. Wait, that that's what was brought from the house from or the this computer? Discovery. Yes, the house. So sorry, that was a little confusing. Okay. The 2013 incident, nothing happened nothing to anybody. Came. But 2017 hits... One brother got nine months. So far, the middle brother had nine months. Okay, that's it. She did restrict his ability to interact with minors. No additional charges. So without anything more, there's no no more time that can be given. 
He originally denied having any sexual interest in children or really anyone he claims to be asexual. So the detective inquired why he would have so many cutout images of children from magazines. And he said, well, he wasn't aroused. He just was curious. His brother Edwin must have been confused when he was asking for images to be printed on the computer. The eldest brother, Charles Emery, who I should note worked as a janitor at the Seattle Children's Hospital for 20 years, Mm -hmm. had all charges dropped against him. Born on October 15, 1934, at 82 years old, the judge ruled that he was mentally ill due to the dementia, dementia. and he, quote, lacks the capacity to understand the proceedings and assist in the defense. Next steps would be to civilly commit him, so basically put him in a home. Mm I will say that some of the items found in the house that can be directly associated with him are pretty incriminating. He had a collection of materials related to the sexual assault and murder of female children. This was referred to as his manifesto. Several of these included notes written detailing the brothers' imaginations of what they would do to children if given the chance. The niece who made the discovery of the photos is known as T.W. in the court documents, and she came forward to police to let them know that she had been victimized by her uncles, a.k.a. the Emery brothers. T.W. also indicated that her mother, Edna, noted as E.V. in the documents, had also been a victim from years prior. Edna is actually Edwin's twin sister, and she claimed that all three brothers sexually abused her growing up. And what happened to these brothers? That's all I'm thinking is like when they were kids. Obviously, yeah, something. And, and to, I don't know if we'll know. To say, like, let's live in a house full of child pornography. It was a rampant sex abuse house, so it's very likely right. it happened to them as well. So Edna actually tells police that she was removed from the home at age 10 and put into foster care for her own protection. So it was obviously known, but because of the time, maybe the era, it just wasn't something. So instead of doing anything to treat they just condemned the girl. anything for these boys. And just left them there with, to live there. So her daughter T.W. described to investigators that her mother Edna was abused from the time she was a toddler till she was removed at 10 years old. Edwin would often put her on his lap and touch her vagina and breast area. Charles would dress her up in socks and shoes and played with her feet and rub them on his genitals. She said Charles would sometimes give her alcohol prior to his assaults. So she didn't always remember what happened, but she does remember that he digitally penetrated her vagina on multiple occasions and regularly took nude photos of her or while wearing swimwear. So it's very interesting that it's almost like their fetishes line up with the things they were finding. Mm-hmm. The shoes, clearly yeah, like the middle brother. Stopped. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. I can't imagine this woman's young life. Police continued to investigate these brothers and their home for a very long period of time. In fact, in the court documents, there is a reference to evidence of a homicide. I mentioned earlier that there was a burned pink hat found partially buried. That hat has led to a lot of speculation, but even more sinister than that were the multiple missing child flyers found at the home. In fact, a flyer of Lindsay Baum was found on the premises and the brothers own a home just a few miles from Lindsay's town. So there have been suggestions that the brothers could potentially be looked at in connection to Lindsay's disappearance. One month after the Emery brothers' arrest in 2017, two hunters would find a partial human skull in a remote part of central Washington. This discovery was in the mountains roughly 17 miles west of Ellensburg. 
The remains were not immediately linked to any specific case. It was a very small fragment and it took a lot of testing to get a DNA match. But when they did, a year later, 2018, the DNA was a match for Lindsay Baum. That piece of her skull had been located over a hundred miles from where she disappeared, giving investigators a fresh lead and a new area to comb for suspects. Typically, when a body is found, the case falls into the jurisdiction of where they found it. However, since this was confirmed to be Lindsay and it was already an investigation in progress, Grays Harbor Sheriff's Office will continue to own the case, but they are getting a help from the Kittitas County Sheriff where they found the, the piece of the skull. When the information regarding the Emery brothers hit the media, it was disclosed that police had in fact brought cadaver dogs to the brothers' property. The whispers of a possible connection to murder, the loads of children's clothing, shoes, and missing flyers, it was definitely possible that there was a connection to Lindsay and police wanted to discover it right away. However, there has been no confirmation that the cadaver dogs made any discovery on the property, indicating there had been a dead body at any time on the land. So there's no really official word out there whether the police actually believe they're connected, but it's definitely... A possibility. I just, I, I haven't even heard an argument on why the brothers would have a reason to be in Central Oregon. They're already elderly at that point. And it's a rough terrain. Like where these hunters found her, it is partial. Most of the year, you can't even get to it because it's in the mountains. Yeah. Well, and 10 years old, I mean, 10, 10 year olds are bigger and stronger. And she was like 90 pounds. Yeah. So yeah, if you're older and frail and whatever, and someone only saw one person. But if it's, it's multiple brothers and they murder her in the town and just dispose of her there, you could potentially carry. I just think the terrain is too rough I don't, for elderly With what people. it sounded like, I mean, it sound. I mean, maybe that's just my brain because it's unfathomable to think that three brothers are living together their whole lives and just having these horrible sexual fetishes and, and then they the also become like hey guys let's take it further and murder people it's possible but it, my brain it's almost a nightmare can't to think yeah about. my brain can't my brain's like no that's it's a not, horror that movie. can't be real but to be honest really anybody could be connected so someone yeah. like that is more likely yeah you know and so are they still looking at and i forgot the name the first guy you said the one who had told they the girlfriend. do have as far as I know, there are still two suspects that they're really heavily looking at, and at least one of them was one I've already described. So I, I don't think they're ruling anyone out. They just don't have anything. They have nothing. Until they can find some sort of evidence on a person or get find the rest of her remains and get DNA, we're not. I don't think we'll ever know. Hmm. So a couple of years ago, a private investigator joined the case. So her name is Rose Winquist, and she's been a PI since 1988 and owns a company, Winquist Investigations, in the Seattle area. Her team works on a number of cases from elder exploitation, security fraud, and of course, missing persons. Now, she had been following the Lindsay Baum case for years and ultimately came to her mother, Melissa, and offered her services for free. And I think that's really great. I mean, yeah, yeah it is like awesome. free publicity because it's a huge case. But that's a lot a, of work for it is. And as a mother, mother, I think she felt compelled. Yep. You know, everyone's sitting there watching. This could happen to anybody. Every mother I know has left their kid alone for a few minutes or couldn't find them in a store or let them walk home from school. So it could happen to anyone. Yeah. Yes, it's rare to have this stranger abduction, if it is a stranger. Right. But I think she felt compelled to help her. Mm -hmm. 
I read an article from the Daily Chronicle about Rose's work on the case, and I thought it was very interesting. In it, they ask her, how do you start on a case like this? And she kind of appealed to my my nerd brain where she said she sits down objectively and looks at it like data points. So you're basically parsing through the data you know. And in this case, she describes it as having a half million data points. Now, these could be anything from like facts like Lindsay is 10, Lindsay is female, to other things collected like the timeline. You know, she was last seen at a video store that day or she was at the pool with her friends. So all of those little things form this story that can be told. And in it, there's going to be other factors that maybe aren't facts, but they're well-knowns or this person in the area has a history of child molestation. Oh, uh-huh. That's a data point you yeah. would consider, right? So she said she basically looks through that. And by doing that, she has her own 20 persons of interest that she formed. And there wasn't a mention whether or not they overlap the police because I don't think they have a very open communication mm. to yeah, each I other. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I don't think the police, police is very usually keen aren't on into that. that. Um, but I imagine there's going to be some overlap yeah. there. So the discovery of the partial school has definitely given her a new data point. And she's excited about that because it gives you a whole new area to consider who in Lindsay's life knew um, that she knew lives there or who has a reason to drive that distance mm-hmm. from that town. You know, is it a truck driver? Well, and now you know area. someone was gone at some point for mm-hmm. a chunk of time, whether right. it was that exact night or... Like the guy where the neighbors are like, well, we haven't seen him in days, yeah. but we definitely saw him that night. Yeah. That's suspicious. Yeah. Did he maybe travel there? Can they find, hopefully, any kind of video in a gas station that they could pinpoint someone's car? So it does open up a whole new realm of possibilities. Now, over the years that she's worked the case, she does have her own opinion on what happened. She thinks the perpetrator was either known to Lindsay or knew of Lindsay in some way. She is quoted as saying that Lindsay was likely very easily coaxed into the car, and she does believe that she had been sexually assaulted and maybe was killed because she was going to tell. That makes sense because it's not late at night, but late enough that you're probably able to hear more things and what's going on. And so if you don't know her and you try to take her, she's going to make a ruckus and she's very much described as a outgoing individual the kind of person who's loud and not a not a meek child you know right yeah yelling and running away wouldn't have been an issue they don't think so she was probably you have someone you know going oh Lindsay, right oh yeah i know you know yeah oh i was gonna give you a ride or whatever and maybe it was that person that was following her and she knew that and there is definitely a likelihood that she would tell if she's like hey mom Mm -hmm. you know he touched me inappropriately Mm -hmm. or something so uh, I think that is a, a very valid idea of what happened. I mean, of course, we won't ever know. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things I got out of that article was that she thinks the skull fragment that was located was actually washed downhill from a flood that happened in 2011. So she has a strong belief that if they were to look uphill and do more searches, that they could potentially find clothes, the rest of her remains, or maybe even DNA left by the killer. So searches did continue for a year after the discovery because the they had to wait for snowmelt. It was oh, it's that bad right. up the mountain they couldn't even get up there. Mm-hmm. So they will probably continue to look and hopefully some hiker or hunter will find more. Yeah. Half of the remains that were found of Lindsay now reside in a pendant that hangs around her mother's neck. But somewhere out there, the rest of Lindsay still remains and we do hope someone finds her. Lindsay was a talkative and friendly little girl who loved her friends and family, even if she loved to fight with her older brother. 
And like many of us, she was a fan of Harry Potter and Twilight, a girl after my own heart. She liked movies and having sleepovers with her friends. And while her family has moved on from McCleary, Washington, due to the painful memories, the town still mourns for the little girl they all lost. Everyone wants to know what happened to Lindsay and get some justice for her murder. There's a $45,000 reward for the tip that leads to the arrest and conviction of Lindsay Baum's killer. If you have information that could help solve this case, please call the confidential tip line at 360-964-1799. Small Town Secrets is a podcast that explores the secrets and strangeness of small towns across the globe, be it paranormal, true crime, or just plain weird. Every town has a secret. What is yours? Do you have a story to share of a town that you've lived in? Then head over to stscast.com and use the submission form at the bottom of the page. And it might end up on the show. You can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at STScast. Available now wherever you get your podcast. I still come back to the burning of that stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. I really think yeah. she was covering up something for if, her family's If safe it face. was known that the that their sister and she were molested along her mother. with like right. Yeah. And that they and that they saved uh, the liquor bottle and all this stuff. I would not doubt that they were taking pictures back in the right. day or whatever. Like put and it's yourself like, in that position. You're finding loads of stuff. You know they're going to get busted on it. So right. you might as well save your family. What's Ten pictures. What's a hundred pictures? If it's especially if you're willing me, to tell them, mm-hmm. like and I'll I don't, describe it. I don't want to go to trial. I don't want to relive all of this. I don't want to have this splashed around. I don't want this on the internet. I, I do not blame her. Yeah, and good for her for turning in her own family. I mean. She obviously knew how they were and how they treated her. She probably didn't realize how it went beyond her, you know, right. like maybe she knew of her mom. I really like I can't even. Pro- I really can't process the idea of that house. I can't imagine that you have that. Not only do you have that fetish, but, but that then you're able to like brothers. start to talk about it. And they're like, we're game. And then everyone's OK. I with think the it house started young. Of- I think it starts in childhood. You see it happening. And in your household, it's normal. So everybody yeah. does it. Yeah. That's what happened. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have to. I mean, that has to be. It. Absolutely. But it's just you. I mean, I've never heard of. They, they, it's not like they're telling people outside. I don't you know, I can't say for sure they weren't part of a pedophile ring online or something. Right. Because there are there's speculation about that. But I don't think they were interacting with with people in I their know. outside life. Like, but it's just, it's just wild. It's just wild to think. It is. It makes sense. Obviously, something happened in the house, happened when they're young, they're exposed to this abuse, and you see that all the time, where some people then become the abusers, some people then become, you know, more vulnerable, and they continue to be abused, or they get angry. I mean, there's just a million things that come from that. Yeah. And so to have three of them kind of land in the same realm, you know, it's not like one of them was... What happened to us was totally messed up and now I'm angry and I'm going to fight against this. Or what happened to us was totally messed up and now I'm feeling this vulnerability and I continue to put myself in places that are not healthy or I, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, 
I know. I just, I can't, I, and I'm picturing like hoarder houses and just imagining all of that shit and having it be all I'm that. sure that those crime scene investigators needed some therapy after that. Like, yeah. that's fucked. 50 years of child molestation and child pornography found in a single home. I guess it's just hard for me to picture, I like, the seven apartment, you know, the apartment in seven when they go in. It's almost like that feeling and that mindset, but times three people. And it, it's such a solo thing. Like, it's such a, yeah, you're, it's like, a, but, it, your, but it's not because they've always your, been together. Your deepest, darkest secret that you keep to yourself. So to imagine, like, this is the house of this. I and, picture them as abnormally close, awkward family. Uh, yeah. They were bonded in sex abuse and grew up thinking it was normal and liked it. Yeah. The other side of the story that really gets me is just the human nature of just being mean bullies. So mm. when you're reading about this family losing their daughter, mm-hmm. I'm amazed at the just the horribleness of neighbors and things. One of the things that came out of the articles was basically the mom had a garage a garage sale and the town just is making these assumptions that she's getting rid of Lindsay's stuff so she must be covering up for her son who did it. And it's like, okay, blame a 12-year-old boy mm-hmm. who probably is feeling guilt from leaving his sister after a fight and then she goes missing. Mm-hmm. He, he was her protector. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe that. So a small town whispering about them. They were forced out. The mom moved. She's like, I can't deal with this. She has her own trauma. She moved to Olympia. The son ended up moving to Tennessee to be with the father who was in the military and they mm-hmm. were divorced. I just It's just so sad. It's like this family just falls apart after such a devastating loss like that. And you then to have your that. town talk about you. You always hear how, oh, the family's, you know, the percentage of divorce after loss of a child and all of that. And it's like the police, man. Uh, yeah. They I mean, looked even, at them right away. Even with this, even with you talking about this, I have this twinge of guilt of we don't know and you know we're talking about these people and we're just saying here are some of the clues and here's some of the evidence and here's that pointing to that person and and they're named a suspect and even that feels weird and gross let alone these people you know we've talked about this multiple times on different shows where it's just what people say online or the and it's like you literally have no idea you do not know what you're talking about they are careful with their terminology so person of interest doesn't mean suspect mm -hmm. it means they you have you possibly have information that is Mm -hmm. of interest and that is very different from suspect Mm -hmm. and they are not naming their suspects so there's you know i can speculate all i want on who i think it is which i you know i think i'm right but i don't know i'm not a police officer and we as as american people those people of the world, you really have to trust that the police will do their job. Right. And that, Which is very hard to do right now. It is. It mm-hmm. is. But, I mean, we have no reason to doubt this sheriff. Yeah. He is working for the family. He wants to solve this. This is one of those cases that he said, this will mm-hmm. be with me till the day I die. Mm-hmm. I want to solve it. Mm-hmm. So I have to think he ruled the family out right away. Yeah. And that is, how dare you question it yeah, who, and make them feel who uncomfortable. Who are you to get to decide that that's what you feel about it. It's just Oh, I don't really know. I've just heard some headlines and I watched some news clips and now I've decided that this is what happened to that child. Yeah. It's like you have no idea what you're talking about and you have not written, you didn't read the police report. You have not examined every piece of evidence. And if you're so set on that, like then why don't you help fund the uh, private investigator? Yeah. Why don't you give her some funds and then she can look into it? Why don't you 
do what you can to help with searches or whatever instead of sitting there and being an armchair detective and saying, oh, it was probably the case. I hate that with like John Bonet, how they blame the sun. Like, get out of here with that. Like, I hate that stuff. You're probably one of those people. I am. But it, you it's know what, not but- physically possible, but we're not here for that story. Anyway. <laughs> I do, I, have, just, I do have opinions. No, but I, I agree. It's just, it's not fair. And we shouldn't just assume police don't know how to do their job with that. That is the first place they look. The first place they mm-hmm. look is the family, especially with an abduction. Mm-hmm. They probably looked at the dad first because he was he was from out of town and had to go back to Iraq soon. So right. let's give them the benefit of the doubt. The other thing that really pissed me off is just the stigma of being a single mother. Like mm-hmm. they called her kids feral kids that was the rumor around town that they were feral they came and go as they pleased they did whatever it's like yeah it's freaking summer and i have a and mom a who small, works all the time and it's a small town and they're just walking around to their friend's house to go have a slumber party so you can't have a personality and maybe be a latchkey kid apparently without being feral oh it goes back to the that kind of victim blaming almost of and may and maybe that's something that people come up with subconsciously to feel safer of Oh, well, of course yes. that happened to her. Yes. She just lets her kids run around that town and she doesn't pay. Uh, yeah, I, I do, love my I children and that. pay attention. And so I think it's a comforting thing, but it is also like the worst way to be a human. It's just like they had that coming. Some because of the of that. best parents I know are single parents, and that is what makes them a good parent. Mm-hmm. And yes, they can't be around for every single thing that happens, but mm-hmm. I just think of like my mom. <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I was a dumb kid and I my mom didn't get home until like five or six each day. So she doesn't know where I am after school. So it doesn't matter where I am. Mm -hmm. And I went off with a friend, went to the park, come home to this police officer. And he just made rip me a new one, basically, (laughs) about how my mom was frantic running around town. Police were out looking for me. She said I was wearing a white shirt and it was yellow. And like they were mean. They were mean. Like, how do you not know what your kid's wearing? It's just Ugh. fucked. Like, yeah. not everyone wakes up each day preparing for a child abduction. Right. What do we need to do? Start taking a picture of our kid when they get on the bus every day to make sure we know every I've literally had days where I've had to stop to think about what I was wearing. Like, I'll have to stop and be like, oh, because I'm in a Tell me what you ate t-shirt. for lunch four days ago. Right. Can you tell me that? Right. You're a bad mother. You know, like, yeah, it's, it's just it doesn't correlate. And again, I think wound. it's a and it's very clear. She did not kill her child. He did not kill his sister. Leave him alone. I think it's just a lot of misplaced anger uh, and self-protection. Yeah. And I think it's... we don't want to be scared to walk in our neighborhood. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier to point at the mom who you've seen something happen and say somehow that's her fault and not. My creepy ass neighbors who don't leave their house, and it turns out there's three pedophiles that live yeah. in there. But they're I, elderly old men. Yeah, I'm not going to look at them because that doesn't. They're not monsters. I see them. They get their mail. We say hi. They're not monsters, but she is because she did something that led to that happening to her, and that's not going to happen to me. I agree. I think and what we disgusting. each need to do is really sit back and know your role, stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. You can speculate all you want in your brain, but don't go ruining someone's life and making them want to move out of their town. Yeah. It's just very Or adding to their loss. The worst possible loss you Mm -hmm. can imagine, and you're making them uncomfortable to even talk to their neighbor. To even exist in their home. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a worse story. I think it is a good point bringing up the police work because- it is important to support police, and I do support police. That's a great transition. And I <laughs> like where you're going. <laughs> Thank with you. Uh, I support detectives, and I support police. And I went to, you know, I was looking into 
going to college to become a police officer. My brother wanted to be like, we, you know, it didn't happen for either of us, but that is something I inherently have always had. On the flip side of that, this isn't a political show and we're not trying to be political, but there's a difference between being political and being a decent human being, <laughs> you know, and to say, you can, they're not mutually exclusive to say Black Lives Matter and I support the police. You Absolutely. can have both. You and cannot judge an entire group of people based on a single stereotype. And that is right. the problem that we see day in and day out, whether it's the police, mm -hmm. whether it's being black, mm -hmm. whether it's being low income or a single mom, like you cannot judge from one situation and make a blanket statement about yeah. everyone. Yeah. And, you know, we... As, as a show, we hope you guys are finding some positive escape because things are incredibly difficult right now. I know we're both, we're all, you know, mentally, emotionally exhausted and we're not even in the trenches out there in that stuff. But, you know, I think it's important before people make flippant remarks or react to something because they, you know, I can, I can look at that and I 1000% support the protesters and say, thank you for being out there. If I wasn't so scared of COVID or being shot, I'd be out there, um, and, you know, I'm I'm supporting where I can, whether it's time, money, whatever. And I can also say, yes, I support the protesters. I don't support, you Moving. know, the undercover cops that are mm. on film that have been ID'd breaking windows yep. to incite, incite riots. Riot. Yeah. That blew my mind. I had no idea that was a thing. And I mentioned it to my dad. He's like, oh, yeah, that's always been going oh, on. Oh, and that's there's a TikTok fad right now. Somebody's calling out there's a color of the day that they wear bands. And that's how you oh, can and that's tell how undercover. The cops can tell. So one day that they were all got called out, it was white bands. Right. And just picture after, after picture, picture in the middle of these protests. And that that to me, like that I think is what is so hard about all of this right now is because I respect police officers and I respect law enforcement and I have friends that are – like it's such an inherent – like yes, I respect you and I wanted to be with but you. And, and I study now They are work. humans. And they on the other humans. hand, to see why are you why are you the one with a hammer to the window at AutoZone? Why are that's not your job? People that is feed not your off job. of that of that violent energy. No, I know. I I mean, I know why they're doing it. I mean, like, why are you doing like as a taxpayer? Right. I pay you, and what I'm paying you for is to protect me when I call and say I need help because something bad is happening, and then you come and you help me. What I don't pay you for is to go and like smash windows hoping to get people riled up so then you can arrest them or you can mace them or you can tase them you can run them over with your car or your horse or you know shoot yeah, them it's frustrating or lay on their neck because there are thousands of good officers out there exactly really trying to protect everyone and exactly and all we can do is fixate on the bad seeds yeah it's and and i just uh it is hard because everything's coming to a head. We've all been locked in our homes. We are all stir crazy. We're all the locusts are coming. Yeah, we're all emotionally exhausted, and we're waiting for the next roll of the Jumanji dice to see what happens. <laughs> and you know, so it's it's something that's necessary. I I support the movement completely. I have for many many years, and uh, it's it's hard to see. It's hard to watch people die i don't know what it is about george floyd i don't know what it is about that i don't know if it's the that it was slow instead of just being shot i've watched children be shot by police yeah. for years over and over and it's because someone's you're watching his life slip away and he's pleading he's literally yeah. in the most vulnerable position a human can be in pleading yeah for his life yeah 
So, I, you know, he's the spark. You know, so many people, unfortunately, that I've had he's to- He's the Mockingjay. He is. There are so many people that I'm seeing that I'm having to unfollow or just snooze to be like, I can't, I can't emotionally lose you as a person in my life, but I also can't have you in my life. And there, there's people saying, you know, oh, we're going to destroy businesses because- this guy, this one guy, and it's like, first off, you're comparing a building and materials to a human. Get out of here There's with that. There's something wrong with that. Yeah. Secondly, to think that this is all George Floyd, absolutely. It's not. It's he a, is it's the straw. Hundreds of years of problems coming to a head. Yeah. He is the straw on the camel's back. Yeah. That's all with everything else happening and everything that's been happening. That's all that is. He is the Mockingjay. He's the spark. He's the straw, yeah. whatever you want to call him. And, you know, I, it's it's almost a martyrdom because something had to happen and hopefully something positive does come out of this and hopefully there is police reform. Hopefully looking at, you know, Mayor de Blasio in New York. I hope you're watching that and make maybe if the if the protests continue you'll actually press charges on the officers that drove over people instead of what you've said which is oh well they shouldn't have been throwing things at cops they had to get out of there like no That's hopefully no the change yeah hope, someone hopefully the change comes um and we can just have things how they need to be which is humans being treated equally no matter their skin color no matter their gender no matter their sexual orientation whatever it is and we can have police officers that are policing, that aren't going out of their way to start things, look for things, frisking for things, pulling over for things. They're just there to say, how can I help you? Mm. And how can I help solve this case? And how can I help find this child and bring them home? And how can I help? Yeah. While we are obviously not a political podcast and we aren't here to sway anyone's decisions. If you're interested in learning really what is happening in the world and in a really concise matter in a well-researched and accurate manner, please check out the podcast, The Breakdown by Sean King. Uh, in my personal opinion, he is this generation's Martin, Martin Luther King. And I don't say that flippantly or lightheartedly. Um, he is an amazing leader and educator and uh, follow him on Instagram uh, and all other social media to really see what's happening and how you can help. That's the biggest thing for me is he always has a way to help. He calls them his calls of action. He has them in the breakdown podcast. So uh, you can listen to that and feel outraged about things happening. But instead of feeling hopeless, he'll provide you with your calls to action. So you can make those phone calls, send those emails and feel like you're actually helping to make a difference. The end. R -r 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 Rosie, you precious little angel baby girl, yeah. One floppy ear, one high heel, little t shirt. Some spots of brown, mostly white. Rosie Dog. That's her theme song. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> So who was the first? What were you were probably like freaky young when I started? Yeah, yeah, I was like twelve. <gasps> Is that young? I don't know. Not for, for boys. masturbation. Yeah. Well, yeah, because no. the way he said the first, I'm like the first girl you masturbated. He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I I couldn't say. Tell it me was, about your it probably first wasn't. masturbation story. Do you remember <gasps> how I remember, you figured it out? Yes, that. 
took me a long time to figure out how to do it like correctly. And I don't know if I've told you this. I think so. But the I started, firewood, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I started by. <laughs> this was a New York conversation. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know why I thought this would be the way. I mean, it just felt, it felt okay, but I would put it between my hands and then roll my hands like I was trying to start a fucking fire. And it worked, but at the end, yeah, I was like, yeah, and then yes. at the end, I was like, because oh, it was so like friction burned. So I was going crazy on that thing. <laughs> Wait, so how long were you doing the Boy Scout method? How long? Yeah. Not long. Just a couple of years. <laughs> Months, maybe. maybe. He's like, Till it almost fell off. It's still very skinny in the middle. <laughs> bulbous, like a play Bulbous on the When you're rolling a Play-Doh. <laughs> I won't have this talk. <laughs> so my friend- It's bulbous everywhere. <laughs> I should try that again. Maybe it's- I should try that again. Should they make a- This is a good idea. <clears throat> oh, An invention. A... Mm, sex lube with chunks. Ew, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Why though? Wait, how would it not? How would it not? Get inside you? Yeah. That's not. I told you already. I'm not a big picture guy. <laughs> he, he would slowly dissolve. He's like lube chunks. Yeah. Boom. Done. Idea. <laughs> I mean, the, it can't be invented. Dennis would already do it. You Who's have Dennis? To, you have to constantly. <laughs> That's unheard of. I know. Well, until now, when you just heard it. That's yeah. ghostly. Heretofore unheard. Unheard. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, let me translate. Heretofore unheard. <laughs> I hope it falls out of your shorts. Oh, it did! It fell out of his shorts just like you said! <laughs> I'm a time teller. I mean, wait, what? <laughs> they call me the time teller. It's 418. Fortune teller. I'm a time teller. The time teller has returned <laughs> from the void. Time teller, might you use our, your powers right now? Want to see my boogers? <laughs> <laughs> Her greatest weapon. I was asking you to tell me the time, but oh, it is 10:51. <laughs> oh, the time teller has spoken. She strikes again. Want to see my boogers? Want to see my boogers? <laughs> That's her catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. That's good. Shut your holes. Who, who amongst you wants to see my boogers? Criminals. <laughs> my my boogers, boogers. Tell the time oh. of your death. Ooh. Ooh, you put them in a the bottom of tea. Oh. Does not have a happy ending. <laughs> Jonathan Brandis was just a gorgeous delight with those eyelashes. Oh, ladybugs. I fucking love ladybugs. And I loved um, that show he was on where he had a dolphin friend, Einstein. Sequest, DSV. Sequest. Let me sleep, sneak in the funny. Nearly a hundred law enforcement officers and FBI agents working the. Oh, I said case twice. You stupid fucking idiot. Well, I, it, it had to have. And I think I love chocolate the way you love cream cheese. Maybe. And they're very different. And that explains our palates. Good day. Goodbye. <laughs> the taste teller. I'm the taste teller. Did you want to smell my farts? <laughs> that spider. It is. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow, that is substantial. So are you just going to put him outside? Yeah. Okay, good. Quick, he's going to hide. <gasps> you lost him. He jumped. <gasps> he's gone. No! What kind of man are you? Pacifist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, wait. You lost him how? Like I had him. Oh, it's right here. It's right oh. here. It's right here. <gasps>